0: this is the Andrés segovia show
1: greetings everyone welcome to the Andrés segovia show i am your host andre segovia a lot in the news lately regarding the second amendment a lot of stuff being talked about it because of a lot of what's been happening covered by the news that doesn't mean it is new but it is in the news more often and In the opinion of yours, truly, a lot of it tends to be propaganda. So I decided instead of me talking about it, I wanted to bring someone that's very knowledgeable in this field of uh, firearms and safety and usage thereof. He's a pro in the field. And that is uh, a great American, a real hero, even if you might not like the title, but I'm giving it to him anyway. And that would be Boone Thank you so much for being on the On to Go of your show again. It's a pleasure to have you on, man.
0: Thank you for having me again. Pleasure to be on again.
1: Yeah, and for for those that are unaware,s Boone is co author of a book called Benghazi: Know Thy Enemy. Um, it is available from multiple book publishers and Amazon. I think the Amazon thing is at least fixed by now, right?
0: It is. Yes, you can get it on Amazon. You can get on Barnes and Nobles, StarMedia Yes.
1: Yeah, get learning, folks, because the enemy is still out there. For those that are unawares of of your background, can you tell them about what you did professionally?
0: Sure. Professionally, I started in the United States Marine Corps for about eight years. Then I went into law enforcement for about six years. Um, After that, spent a lot of time overseas, ended up doing law enforcement, protective security on the government level. And then that's when I ended up with the Central Intelligence Agency with their global response staff for about 12 years. Um, I'm also a full-time firearms and tactics instructor, and I run Threat Management Solutions and ShootingClasses.com.
1: Those are the two things for what I remember from our initial conversation, um, law enforcement and now an instructor, basically, Uh, especially because law enforcement has uh, really been in the news a lot um, for the past three years, defunding, abolishing, all these different things uh and uh, look at the chaos that we see in some of these major cities uh i off the air i told you about some of the stuff that's it's not hitting close to home it is home um because i live and work in l.a county orange county uh and the like for anybody aware of that um regional area you would know that it's hit a lot by by these crime waves compton i grew up in the compton watts border okay i rodney king riots I remember it like yesterday. Uh, I remember the the fire bombings. The the guy being taken out of the the big rig was just a few blocks from where I lived. You know, all these things. Um, I, I I saw them unfold, although at the time I didn't understand them. And not to dwell on 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 that per se, but the thing is, it just feels like history is repeating itself. But now, where there's a movement that uh, is blaming police force and all that, uh, there's something that that you mentioned that you learned through that in our initial conversation which was uh psychology and i guess to get the police talk out of the way um uh, do you feel that our our police can use better training or or is it that they're just misunderstood
0: no it's definitely a training issue but it's also a perception issue um the law enforcement job especially for what we would call like a patrol officer The officer you see in uniform every day, driving around in the marked car. His or her job is extremely, extremely difficult. Um, Not only are they charged with enforcing laws and keeping the peace, but they're expected to have these skills that they're not trained for. Um, For instance, they show up to a domestic incident and they're expected to be psychologists um, or mental health professionals and deal with all these complex problems. When you hear about police, it's usually a bad shooting or use of force, something like that. But we're never told about all the contacts they have every day with citizens where no one's beaten, no one's shot, and they're actually helping people, You know, or it's a peaceful um, resolution. So a lot of it's a misconception, um, the perception of law enforcement. Usually when a cop shows up, it's something bad. It's part of their job. They're enforcing law, responding to crimes. So that's negative right there, if you look at it, if the police show up, oh, man, something bad happened. And we need to change that mentality because they actually are providing a service that we actually need. Um, when it comes to training, again, they're getting bare minimum training that's set by the state. Each state's different, whatever those mandated um, criteria is. But it's different from state to state. And it's the bare minimum. And then they get in-service training throughout their careers, but it's not enough. Um, like LEPD, for example. I think they're the third largest police force in the United States, just trying to get everybody qualified every year, full time job. It's a daunting task. But instead of defunding them, they actually need more training. They need more funding to make sure they're trained to a high level. Um, Think about a brain surgeon. If you're going to have brain surgery, would you want your brain surgeon to be trained to the minimum level? Or you want him to be a subject matter expert? You want him to have all the training he can possibly have. Obviously, you want them to be as well-trained as you possibly can be, and that's what our uniform police officers need to be, subject matter experts in multiple disciplines, and there's just not the budget or the time to get them trained to that level.
1: Yeah, LA being that, that big, um, it's and it's it is so diverse, some people might not respond the same way as others for XYZ reasons, whether it's economic levels or it's, um, it's edu- what's considered the more ed- educational levels, it's just... It is very different, and that's why um, when you mentioned uh, studying their their psychology, they're studying their body language. When I had asked you, how did how did you guys go from that one mile from the from the car uh, blockade to uh, um, the villa? It's like, well, how can you tell friend from foe and kind of things. And that is something that uh, I'm assuming you didn't get that kind of training at the onset for your law enforcement uh, career. It's something that you learned along the way.
0: So that's something I learned, um, actually, when I was a young child, growing up, and then having that cultivated within the military, and then having that cultivated more within law enforcement, where you get cultural diversity training, but being in law enforcement, because you're around criminals so much, you tend to pick up on their mannerisms. Mm. And then when I actually went to the intelligence community, you know, they actually train you on things like that. And that kind of put it all together. But it's a combination of experience from just growing up where I did as a child, then throughout the military law enforcement, and then actually getting some of the best training you can get on the subject within the government intelligence community.
1: Okay, well, that makes sense. Because I do believe that um, I, I, I've seen it where there are officers that have gone into the forest, but want to serve the community that they know. And I right. think that's a great place to start. Because they're more familiarized with their surroundings as opposed to having an outsider that's there and it's like, well, you don't know who these people are, how they behave, um, what they like, what's the, the weekends, are, they do normally on weekends or what's normal, what's not normal. um, And I think that's a lot of this, I don't know how much of the funding is coming from the federal level or even the state level, but I, I do believe that it should be uh, local, uh, that local needs to look after local. Um, I think there's too much influence where they're trying to make the rules all the way at a higher level. And it's like, well, it's not a one size fits all. You know, it's so uh, is, is, do you know if the funding is more at like the federal state level as opposed to local?
0: So there's different funding for different programs and there is state funding. Um, and there's a huge amount of money at the federal level as well for different cultural diversity programs. But something you mentioned, it's like the community oriented policing Or hiring people from a certain neighborhood or demographic to police that demographic that sounds good um but in practice it hasn't turned out too well Uh, a lot of people are lowering hiring standards to hire a certain demographic and they end up getting Mm. in trouble um, whether it be use Mm. of force whether it be moral issues so when we hire law enforcement officers we need to hire the best candidate that applies But when it comes to dealing with certain demographics or certain neighborhoods, you're spot on with a lot of people might not know um, the intricacies of that neighborhood and those cultural differences and sensitivities. But that's why being a law enforcement officer is so important that you have diversity and you're a people person. You know how to deal with all walks of life based off of just respect and morals and understanding the area you're in.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. Cause uh, I do believe that, uh, I think it's, uh, diversity, inclusion, equity, one of the D I E or D E I, however they say, it. yeah, I, I do believe lowering the standards of a lot of things are uh, like you look the part, you is say no, no, do they qualify? Uh, and that's, right. and that's something that I, I strongly uh, am for. Um, I'm actually very opposed to affirmative action and that didn't make me popular among my, my, uh, social circles in my later age. Like, yeah, you're if you're letting me in just because of how I look, I, I'd rather go somewhere else. It's a, right. But anyway, that's a it, different subject it, it, altogether. It's a,
0: good, it's a good idea. Like when you talk about affirmative action, it's a good idea on paper, like the 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 sentiment behind it makes sense, you know, to include everyone, mm-hmm. not to discriminate. But the practice um, doesn't really work out well.
1: Yeah, correct. And I think it's uh, it's telling about what's happening to our infrastructure. Uh, lately, trains derailing, they're like, what? Uh, or FAA having to ground all the planes. Maybe someone didn't hit the eject button when they pulled the USB. I don't know. But the, the point is that all this stuff wasn't really happening before, but I can see a common denominator of what actually changed. That's uh, maybe cause and effect. Don't know. But uh, with with all that, uh, police response has been such a, a big discussion and we're having two major contrasts uh, lately because of what happened in Uvalde, uh, the elementary school there, and comparing to what happened in Nashville, the response times of these police officers. And again, it's local. So this is a, uh, it's not this or that, but um, I do believe the U- Uvalde uh, left an important training lesson impression on police they have, go respond. And the response of the Nashville police officers was just, well, it, they were just on point. They got it done. And it, it people were comparing it and saying that it was because of the delivery of I don't think that was just the only thing, but I think it no. might've been at the back of their mind.
0: No. Um, according to the reports, um, the Nashville response, a lot of those officers trained in active shooter response well before Evaldi even happened. Um, I, I believe, um, I could be wrong, and I'm not sure if this is going to air, but today is the anniversary of Columbine. So oh. um, we've been familiar with active shooters and how to respond since Columbine. Active shooter situations aren't new. I mean, these happened in the 70s. Um, it just wasn't as prolific as it is now. So we've actually learned these lessons back in the 90s. We're just relearning them. We're not applying them because I think a lot of administrations and communities have an attitude that, It won't happen here, it can't happen here. That happens at Mm -hmm. other places, that happens in big cities, but not here, not in hometown USA. And then when it does happen, it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's like, oh my goodness, we need to do something about this. We already have the answer. We're just not listening, we're not applying it.
1: Well, and I think it's to that, and this will air. Um, It's just, I don't know what YouTube's gonna do with it. (laughs) So uh, that's why I don't rely on on YouTube um, alone. So for those of you watching on Rumble, you're getting a full episode. If you're on YouTube and you're only seeing a clip, go to Rumble. The link should be in the description down below. And, and I think this, this made for a great segue into that conversation because of the whole the whole school shooting and things like that, where the number one knee-jerk reaction solution has been like, Well, we got we gotta ban guns. I <laughs> that could be a conversation in the end of it itself, but on its face, it's absurd. Absolutely ridiculous. And I think it's highly insulting to those like you that have uh, fought, served, paid a price, and some some that you know that paid the ultimate price to preserve our rights and freedoms being the Second Amendment uh, among them. With with all this discussion, you, you mentioned something, and I don't know how much you're able to talk about that, but what what solutions were proposed after Columbine? Because, yes, that was one of the most horrific ones that in, in memory.
0: So one of the problems was, but besides the banning firearms issue, which always comes up, um, but one of the problems from a law enforcement perspective was because most patrol officers don't have the advanced training that a SWAT team does, the SOP, you know, was to lock the school down and then wait for a SWAT team arrive who had more numbers, special weapons and tactics who could deal with the shooter. So that costs time and that time costs kids lives. Yeah. so they stopped that and they're like look and during an active shooter situation we don't have time to wait for a slot team which at best could take 45 minutes at best if not longer depending on where they respond from whether they're full-time part-time so the response turned into active shooter training to where the first three or four officers would show up form a diamond formation and go straight to the shooter And then they changed that because that was taking too long after other active shooter incidents. And then it morphed into the first officer that gets there, you go straight to the shooter, stop the killing, and then if more officers arrive, great, they can help. But the first one on scene moves straight to the shooter, so no other people are killed.
1: Well, it's a lot like the the Nashville um, officers that responded, they they just went in. Uh, They weren't looking at duck and cover. Uh, in contrast to the massive police force that was just sitting on the hallways using hand sanitizers, waiting for a key that wasn't needed right. to open a, a door. And like you said, that time cost people's lives. And I think that was about 45 minutes. They were just sitting on the hallway just as a father of very young children. it it really, it really boils my blood when that happens. Like you have one job to do protected to serve. Well, the two, I guess, but to me, to protection is the service, but um it, in that it's 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 a complex issue uh we talked it's we talked funding we talked training the, the <clears> funding <throat> is tied to the training you you have to fund the training uh now when you affect the funds it affects the training and then the the politics thereof It's like we, we got to ban assault weapons we got to ban weapons of war it's like what what is that you no know, it's and as someone that's been uh, proficient in in weapons as you have uh, can you define what an assault we- weapon is?
0: So, yes, uh, th- there is actually a definition of an assault okay. weapon and, and not to bore, you know, the audience with with a history lesson. But, um, during like World War One, World War Two, you know, we fought with battle rifles. So semi auto or bolt action rifles that were large caliber six, six seven millimeter, um, very effective rifle cartridges. And then we had submachine guns which were pistol caliber uh, machine guns nine millimeter 45 acp so the germans came up with an sdg-44 which bridged the gap so it was an intermediate cartridge between the battle rifle but bigger than the submachine gun pistol cartridge that would still allow full auto fire so it's volume of fire so that's where the assault rifle really came from so the assault rifle is a select fire carbine or rifle that fires an intermediate cartridge, which is referred to as an assault rifle cartridge, um, like 762 by 39, um, 300 blackout 556. In a military context, it has to be select fire. We don't have weapons of war on the streets of America. You can't buy them legally, legally. I mean, might criminals can get whatever they want. But legally, an AR-15 is not a weapon of war. A lot of people think that an AR-15 means assault rifle. It doesn't. It means Armalite rifle, which was one of the original manufacturers who manufactured the AR-15 along with Knight's Armament. So um, an assault rifle is a classification of a weapon system, but it's a military weapon system that is not available to the civilian populace.
1: Yeah. And I'm... I'm glad you you highlighted the difference. That wasn't boring. That was for someone like me, it's super interesting. So thank you for for going on that to give us a discussion of what the origin of that is. Because a lot of a lot of people are just tuning into the sound bites that are being run in the, in the media, in the, the news media. The like, oh, uh, it's it's the AR-17s. Like what? Do you even know what these things are? Do you even know what caliber they are? It's like, what are they doing carrying a thousand rounds on them? I didn't realize they're walking around with machine guns. But they're throwing all these things out there, so that's why when they couldn't exactly settle on assault rifle because the name doesn't stick, because even though they see the uh, the AR on it, they started using the term weapons of <laughs> war. Like, and as you highlighted, as someone that has fought on the battlefield, um, are you able to speak to like, for example, what you what kind of weaponry you used? Like because I know you, you were a sniper. So no,
0: we we. We really can't talk about the weapon systems we use, as silly as it sounds, um, because it's not too hard to figure out. um, (laughs) But as far as things I've used in law enforcement, the military, yes, you know, in the military, um, obviously we had assault rifles, M4 assault rifles, M16A2 assault rifles that were select fire. Even within law enforcement, I was actually on a tactical team. Where we had available, you know, select fire MP5 submachine guns, um, M4 semi-auto um, rifles—not assault rifles, but rifles. Yeah. So we had those weapon systems to perform our job. Um, but as far as um, the agency, no, we're we're forbidden from oh, yeah. talking about what we have just because it can show a capability.
1: Of course, uh, but in, in terms of what uh, what you used, the uh, especially on the law enforcement and and the Marines, AR-15s, were not one of them?
0: No, it was not, no. Um, and again, yeah, that's a civilian designation for a semi-auto rifle. In the military, we have military designations and each military will differ. Um, like an M-16 in the United States isn't called an M-16 in the Canadian military. You know, It'll start with a C or CM or whatever designation they use, even though it's the same weapon system. But in the Marine Corps, you know, we had full auto M4s, which is a lookalike, um, or I should say the AR-15 is a lookalike copy of that military select fire M4. But there's a difference. It doesn't fire on fully automatic. It doesn't fire on bursts, So it's semi-auto only. So even though it might look like what we would consider a military weapon, it's not, in fact, a military weapon system. And you mentioned words like weapons of war, um, assault rifle. The the anti-gun, the left came up with these terms because it makes you feel a certain way, a negative way. It instills fear. You know, it's it's a negative um word for a weapon system that is no different from a hunting rifle.
1: Mm. Well, another thing that they tr- they try to lump in with all this, um is an AK-47. Uh, and I mm-hmm. think t- that's more, speaking from a civilian perspective because of cinema and all that, it almost seems like that's the the favorite weapons of insurgents. It's, mm-hmm. what is an a, um, AK-47 for those of us don't so know? So the AK-47
0: what? came from, it's a direct descendant of that German STG-44 we talked about. Um, it's a mass produced weapon fires a 72 by 39 caliber which is a 30 cal but it's a short uh, 30 caliber so if you think of like a hunting rifle like a lever action a 30 30 which no one would have any problem with the civilian owning ballistically that's equivalent to an ak-47 72 by 39 cartridge so the ak might look menacing because it's known for a terrorist weapon a revolutionary weapon or insurgent weapon or weapon that the Russians used during the Cold War, so it's like an enemy mm. weapon or a weapon from Vietnam, um, it's no more effective than that 30-30 lever action that you grew up hunting with.
1: I see. Uh, it, it just so happens that it's, uh, I guess in those regions, it's just cheap and easily accessible, I'm assuming? Is that why it's all common? Well, well,
0: in, in third world countries or you know parts of Africa, parts of the Middle East, now, those are true assault weapons. Those areas okay. have been flooded with these weapon systems because of unstable governments, revolutions, things like that. So those are true assault rifles, but that's not what we have in the United States, you can buy a semi-auto replica of an AK-47 in the United States, but it's just that it's just a semi-auto rifle that looks like an AK-47. And again, ballistically, it's, it's no better than a 30, 30
1: okay uh but it's there there are differences in what uh if someone say they were to get an ak-47 in the united states versus those other regions uh, in unstable regions and stuff that those are very different those are the weapons of war or the assault rifles as you mentioned okay all right that makes a a lot of sense because well because it's technically the ak-47 family it's all kind of lumped in together and just they blame the whole thing and it's not and i think that's a very important distinction this is, uh, this is more than what I uh, I was expecting to learn about because I, I was not I'm not a gun aficionado. I fired weapons, but I I'm not, it, I'm not proficient in any of these. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I am, and I'm I'm glad I'm talking to somebody that's very knowledgeable in all this because I think I reflect a lot of the American population that thinks they know about it, and the worst part is these people that absolutely have no idea about anything. Are speaking like they know better than you. Someone that's actually used them. Um, I keep thinking back to the uh, there was a still that was shown by um, from the Cal Rittenhouse uh, case, and it was the prosecuting attorney, and he was trying to display how supposedly Cal Rittenhouse held up the um, the rifle, and the dude's holding it, no trigger discipline, and aiming at the jurors. Thank God it was unloaded, but. There are accidents where people think it's unloaded. Uh, even people that were well experienced in guns, they were handing me a a, a Winchester a lever action rifle from 18 something, and they just had it in storage and like, oh, that's awesome because I've always wanted to try it. And before they handed it to me, it's like, I haven't handled one of these. I need to make sure it's uh, it's unloaded. And it's like, oh yeah, of course, because here are, here are the bullets, Then you just do this, and then there goes the bullet, like there it goes so it did have one and there's just one shot like okay so now it's empty yes it is and then i held it but a lot of people um they don't know uh anything uh, about these sort of things so i i don't like that they stand they do grandstanding to hit a political point but then when pressed on the issue they can't (laughs) win the argument instead of listening to people like we should be like individuals like you um uh, a former co-worker of yours tig who's talking he's launching his podcast to be covering a lot of this i think tig works at at a gun shop right in in colorado springs
0: he's associated with with the gun shop i, I don't know if he I, I don't know the relationship he actually works there um <clears throat> but he does have an association with with a gun shop and several several firearms manufacturers
1: okay yeah and that makes sense because he's I see that he announced on Instagram recently that he wants to uh, – they're going to do like a podcast of sorts to talk about these things. And I'm assuming it's along the lines of of uh, education, training, and instruction, and all that. Listening from individuals like you. You mentioned that you're an instructor, uh, and there's a – you're you're an instructor at the school. Uh, how's, how's your association with that school if you can talk about that?
0: So, no, um, I run a firearms training company. So I don't oh, okay. work for a school. Like we we are the school. Um And that's threat management solutions. And we train law enforcement and law-abiding citizens all over the country, Dollars. all over the United States. Um, I've oh. probably been a certified instructor since 94, 95. Um, and I've been teaching ever since. Now I just do it full time that I'm no longer in government service.
1: Uh, okay. All right. So you're the master Jedi of, of these things then. Well, <laughs> go that see, far. you're humble. It, it's. It, it it doesn't dawn on people that and this is what i was telling also my family this so we've been exchanging uh you know just messages here and there and it, it, thank you for the the, the drawings for my children and they sent you some, some stuff before that and uh, we appreciate that. it doesn't dawn upon them it's like guys you wouldn't think that talking to a boon you're talking to one of the most lethal guys with a rifle <laughs> it's like these things uh it it's it's amazing how it's assumed that if someone is they have firearms, they must be because they're like they're just oozing testosterone they have they just do just gun porn and you know just over the top bigger than life uh, personas and no no that that's that's just like a caricature of something you're one of the reasons at least forty Americans are alive today when their government abandoned them overseas. You know, and ten years later we don't have answers for that. But it, it b- believe me, it is such an it, unreal experience to talk to someone like you, uh, being able to stay in contact with someone like you, uh, just because it's it's unreal, because it, it, you've been in a situation that very few in life will ever ever understand, and I can never ever understand what you went through. Uh, but just hearing it from you, hearing it from uh, from uh, Oz. Uh, seeing it from, from Tonto and Tig, and they will be on my show. I know it because I'm going to bring them on. But and then also hearing another perspective also from Sarah. You know, it's like these people went through something that a few, even in the, the, the veterans that I know and some that are in active military, even in the reserves, they tell me, dude, you're so lucky you talk to these guys. They're legends. It's like, they know. I think of it like Wyatt Earp walking into tombstones. Like, yeah, right, it's Wyatt Earp. Holy smokes, that's Wyatt Earp. You know, like the, the, the way they portray it, it's like, yeah, the, their name carries. Um, yeah, man, you you guys are legends. And it believe me, sitting on this side of the screen, it, it truly is uh, an honor to, to even stay in contact with someone like you. I, I don't think people what? understand that.
0: I do appreciate that, but I'm just a dude.
1: <laughs> see you, you're, you're not you're not out there with a 20-foot flag on the back of your truck driving and just firing rifles down the street
0: <laughs> no no
1: 77 see, or like
0: that's interesting too because um like the demographic of a firearm owner there there really isn't one you know um republicans own firearms democrats own firearms Different religions own firearms. All walks of life own firearms, especially within American culture. Um, it, it, it is a fundamental right that we have as Americans, but it, it's it's not this picture that the, the anti-gunners want to paint of um, the former disgruntled military guy or, you know, the, the redneck that clings to his Bible and his guns. You know, like that's not mm-hmm. the demographic of a firearm owner. You know, all walks of life in America own firearms responsibly.
1: There is a there is this discussion about accessibility to guns. And I, I, I don't think there's an issue with that. But there are talks about red flag laws, because of the whole mental illness association uh, with this. What, what are your takes on red flag laws?
0: So, um, just to back up, um, one of the um, things we learned from Columbine, that that failed to mention, was we started to be able to identify or look for other red flags of mental health issues. And it became um, paramount that schools got more involved with, you know, the children here, they having problems, Is there something going on in the home, um, looking for mental health issues to prevent these things from happening. So um, that trickles down to <coughs> present day, <coughs> sorry, present day, to where we have these red flag laws. And I think they're good intention But I think they can kind of infringe on um, our constitutional rights and due process. It's one thing to have evidence of someone planning to or about to commit a crime. It's another thing for someone who's uneducated or has a some type of beef with someone to report that, hey, this guy has guns, I think he's going to do something, and then legally have law enforcement be able to come into the home and seize those firearms. So I think red flag laws are good intentioned, but I don't think that a lot of them have played out in a a constitutional legal manner up to this point.
1: Uh, I would agree with that because to those that say that we need red flag laws and there's a concern in your state of Florida um, that uh, your governor has actually supported this, that he's waiting for something to come along the lines where he can sign this. Um, I hope he doesn't because it's a double-edged sword. But if the red flag laws have worked why didn't then the our federal intelligence agencies act upon the shooters such as buffalo nashville they had him on on the sites for in some cases on average a year so they knew about this and did nothing so if red flag laws were meant to be deterrent it's not and th- th- this this whole idea of a law abiding criminal it's like oh there's a no gun zone here therefore i should not go there it's like no it's in the criminal by definition means they do not follow the law because if all these rules worked and people say you got to stop bringing up chicago that's because you refuse to see the truth there's the strictest right. the strictest gun laws in the in the country and look at the absolute chaos that's happening over there and that's multi-pronged not just not just with how strict the gun laws are there, the defunding of the police and this new mayor's worse than Lori Lightfoot and all the chaos that's happening just in the past few days since before we, we were recording this, it is absolutely bonkers. Like, is this society that you want? Because this is the test that you all want everywhere. You know, it, and it is really uh, frightening to see that that's what some people say that that's our solution for a more civilized society. That then becomes a question. Um, because this it, it kind of tended to mental illness, and I'll, and I'll circle it together right. here in a bit. Armed guards at our schools, yay or nay? Yes,
0: absolutely, I'm and I'll tell you why. So we, we have, again, a perception of um, we can't turn our schools into prisons. Well, they're not. We need to provide a safe, secure place where our children can be educated and thrive and learn how to be um, you know, contributing members of society. So everything that's important to America is guarded. The White House, try to walk into the White House. You can't. It's heavily guarded. The Pentagon, banks, um, critical infrastructure, anything that has to do with nuclear materials, anything the Department of Energy is responsible for protecting. You know, you're not getting into those places. We put value on it and we take security serious there. Well, why don't we put value on our children? Why don't we put value on protecting our schools? It's a very simple solution. The, the answers are multi-pronged, but it's a very simple solution. If you control access of a school, if you monitor and you pay attention to students that may or may not be having problems, but just be involved in their mental health, and that includes the parents being involved as well. If you have an armed response that is capable and actually trained to one, prevent these things from happening, then two, to actually respond, heaven forbid, if it does happen, you will reduce these active shooter situations, especially in you know, educational systems. Are you going to stop them? No, you can't stop crime. You can't legislate crime away. You know, as long as there's more than a couple people on this earth, you're always gonna have conflict. It's just the way it is. But you can drastically reduce active shooter situations from happening, especially in schools. It's not a hard issue to solve.
1: One of the things that has been talked about that, because one of the few that actually uh, our support of this would be the the republicans where they say we need armed uh guards at our schools uh, they sometimes tag on to that says we have so many unemployed veterans why don't we employ our veterans that have the experience to be guarding our schools <clears throat> how does that sound to you
0: um <clears throat> i think it, it could be a solution but the program would have to be well thought out so in florida Any public school is required to have a school resource officer or they're required to hire what they call a guardian. And a guardian is a private security officer who is trained by the sheriff's office to be in that school and only react to active shooter situations. And normally, they hire either veterans or former law enforcement. I think that's a good start. So the idea of hiring veterans. it's, it's a good source to find qualified candidates, but it doesn't mean that just because you're a veteran, you would be the right fit for this job.
1: Correct. And that's, I think, the the nuance that kind of uh, goes missing in that, because that does connect what I'm trying to say back to mental health, because there has been uh, a an issue that has been neglected in our veteran community with respects to that. Uh, in struggle of, of mental health um i think i think it was a former service member that that did the atlanta um massage parlor shootings if i recall i could be wrong about that but the the fact that this is something that's also um i don't want to say prevalent because that that's it's wrong to say it that way but it has been an issue that's neglected uh in in the community which is why i thought like well yes but we still need a vetting process uh of very strict in that sense, because if we're saying that some of these mass shootings are as a mental illness issue, I would I would hate for even that idea that someone is mentally unstable being the one that's guarding the school, whereas that that just it's terrifying. But um, uh, I'm in favor of of prioritizing um, our veteran community to hunt for the candidates from there. And if they're not there, then proceed to the next to the next stage. But right. uh, they are an underserved community that absolutely need our attention and need our funding. Now, with respects to, um, to because you also train civilians, uh, armed civilians. It's, if someone's shopping for, uh, a, for, for a firearm, uh, but they're also shopping for a school, uh, what should be among the first things they should look for? Uh, To get a trustworthy place.
0: So, when it comes to the firearm, the firearm has to fit their hand. So, they want something that feels comfortable, which is very subjective, but they want something that fits their hand to where they can actually wrap their hand and get a good firm purchase on the grip. It will allow them to manipulate all the features of the firearm, whether it's the slide release. The magazine release or if it has a manual safety without shifting their grip and then their finger should rest or at least the first pad of their finger should rest naturally on the face of the trigger um, without them shifting their hand so they have to fit their hand to the gun which really isn't easy to do um for a lot of people if they don't have experience because they don't really know what it should feel like so that's very subjective anyway Um, as far as a school goes They want to look for a reputable instructor that one has the depth and the knowledge to actually teach them um, proper safety and fundamentals. And this isn't even talking about tactics, but two, they want to make sure that their instructor is actually capable of running a safe learning environment to where they can actually learn fundamentals of safety. So it's not hard to get a firearm certification um, in most states. And there's a difference between going through a four-hour concealed carry safety class and then actually going through like a concealed defensive pistol course that might be anywhere from eight hours, 16 hours to 40 hours, where you actually gain some type of proficiency in using that firearm defensively. So you really have to vet the instructor and make sure that they're capable um, and vetted and they have good reviews. Now, that doesn't mean that just because someone's in the military, they're going to be a great firearms instructor, or they have a law enforcement background, they're going to be a great firearms instructor, or they're a Mm -hmm. former special operations guy, it doesn't mean they're going to be a great firearms instructor doesn't mean they can transfer the knowledge. It also doesn't mean that their experience is relevant to, you know, your your family who just wants to protect themselves. So you really have to do your homework.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I think the guy that was training Keanu Reeves for John Wick, I think he's booked out for a very long time because everybody, like, hey, he could do it. So can I. Right. Yeah, but he, he did. Keanu Reeves dedicated himself. That's why he was so good at it. Um, uh, uh, One thing I would ask, though, uh, with respects to uh, from what I heard from other. um, I don't want to say they're gun experts, but uh, but they they know how to handle a firearm. Um, What they have suggested for home defense at least uh for for a woman has been probably preferably a rifle to be more accurate as opposed to a handgun where they might not be able to brace it properly uh in the in the moment of panic like in the household not like if they're going to be carrying on outside of the home then just a, a pistol because you have to put it somewhere um but what, what do you what do you say to that if, if that were because first of all, they have to be level headed <laughs> to be able to right. even you know, control their anxiety in those situations. But um, a rifle versus pistol for someone.
0: So. <clears throat> it's a multi answered response. One. We don't separate gender when it comes to protecting yourself. What is good for me will be good for a female. So mm. um, two. The rifle is a very good choice with, <clears throat> excuse me, with the right ammo. <clears throat> Excellent choice. With the rifle, you have four points of contact. It does stabilize it, and ballistically, it's superior to a pistol. What you lose with the rifle is flexibility. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> as far as a pistol being used for home defense um, or a rifle, you need training with even one. So it's kind of like a moot point. If you have the training then a rifle would probably be more effective but if you don't have the training doesn't matter if you have a rifle a pistol a shotgun uh, no none of those choices are really going to help you much so first is the training having the mindset and willingness then a rifle would definitely be more effective than a pistol
1: sorry i'm dying over here <laughs> Sorry. um And I think that's uh that's real good advice there. Yeah, because some people did try to separate it by gender, and I understand where they're coming from on that. But it's like, well, let, let me we'll find out from instructors because they're not instructors. Only because I want to make sure you're not actually dying. <laughs> uh, well, I want to make sure you don't lose your voice. But uh, if there's if there's any parting words for the audience with respect to like uh, this whole issue, we covered a wide range of things in this. We're not even scratching the surface on any of them, but I think it was important to highlight that in a way, it's all connected. But if there's if there's an advice that you can give to uh, to our audience, if any, uh, do you you can feel free to share it?
0: Don't let the anti-gun divide us, regardless of whether you're, you know, Republican, Democrat. Your Second Amendment right is for both sides, both parties to make sure that we're able to remain free. Um, that's the bottom line it's not for hunting it's for making sure that our government doesn't become tyrannical and take over the people the people actually have the power as far as um, mass shootings go it's a mental health issue it's not a gun issue we have over 270 laws on the books already we just need to enforce them we don't need new laws to regulate guns Mm. law-abiding people should be able to buy firearms to include um, semi-automatic rifles, standard capacity magazine, <clears throat> they're law-abiding. They're not the ones committing the crime. We need to get tough on the people who actually commit crimes the criminals and actually sentence them and stop being so lenient on the sentences. If you're looking for, when it comes to firearms, if you're not familiar with it, just remember, keep your finger off the trigger, make sure the weapon's unloaded before you manipulate it and make sure that the muzzle is never pointed at anyone and that will reduce any type of negligent accidents.
1: For anyone that wants information on, on your school, so you can send me the links for everybody else, including those of you listening on the podcast. Those links will be found on the show notes accompanies this episode at www.dienersegova.com. Boone, it was a pleasure the first time. It's awesome to have you on again. Uh, it's great to have you. And who knows, maybe I'll have you again in the future.
0: I'd love to. Thank you.